All right, everybody, welcome to the Raintown Riot Podcast. We've got another episode here for you today. Uh, standing next to me is Bobby Lloyd, and Thomas Mayfield is out today. So it'll just be the two of us. So hopefully we stay on track and keep it going. So we're going to open up today with some fascinating news that came out today that is all rumors, it's all hype, it probably won't happen, but damn is it fun to talk about. So what I'm talking about here is a potential super fight, maybe the fight of our lifetime for the interest point, I think, for how interesting it could be, is Floyd Mayweather, Money Mayweather, fighting Conor McGregor. So we have the boxing, superpower, undefeated, 49-0, Floyd Mayweather, going against the most polarizing person in the UFC and Conor McGregor. Not sure how this fight would happen, and I'll put it out there, it's all rumors at this point. It's Floyd Mayweather came up and said, yeah, I, I started the rumors, I started it, I know what kind of money I can make from this fight, so he wants it. And as a response from Conor McGregor, he tweeted a picture of like a poster board of Conor McGregor facing Floyd Mayweather in a fight. So yeah, obviously both of these guys they want both this want. To yeah, both, so what do you think? Both of them want it to happen. Um, super, super exciting. The the idea of these two guys crossing sports. Um, I don't feel like either one of them could beat the other one in their opposing sport. Like if if for some reason Floyd Mayweather would be willing to step into an octagon with Conor McGregor, it would be a quick murder session. He's just not that well-rounded of a fighter is it's not the same type of thing he'd be taken down caught with flying kicks just stuff he's never seen before whereas if conor mcgregor is willing to step into a boxing ring with floyd mayweather i don't understand how it could be possible that he could uh stand up to one of the best boxers of all time like the dude is a boxing genius his whole life is just watching hands learning how people swing timing stuff and knocking people knocking people down, avoiding punches, avoiding getting hit, and winning fights. He's the, uh, as of right now, Floyd Mayweather is 49-0. and He's tied with Rocky Marciano for the best record of all time. So the next fight that he takes, supposing he wins, if he took a boxing match with Conor McGregor, I would say he would almost definitely win that fight. The only chance I could see, I mean, Conor McGregor hits like an absolute, like, uh, like his left hand is like a freaking locomotive coming through. So maybe you've always got a puncher's chance, especially when you're packing heat the way Connor does. But in a boxing match, I couldn't possibly see him saying that. No, in a boxing match, it would Floyd Mayweather should win that. Floyd Mayweather's best thing he has, his best asset, is avoiding punches. Yeah. Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather is incredible at avoiding punches. That's why his fights are so damn boring because he doesn't do anything besides avoid the punch, right? So that's why his last couple fights have been so boring. But he is supposedly retired right now. Floyd Mayweather is retired, but everybody knows that's not going to happen. He knows going for the 50-0 record, he's just waiting for the right opponent so he can make his $100 million fight. That's supposedly what he wants, and that's what he thinks McGregor's fight would happen. However, the interesting part of this is that Dana White was the first one to respond that I saw, saying that it's all rumors. So if it is Dana White responding, does that mean it's more likely to be a UFC fight? I would be shocked if it was a UFC fight. It's just not a Floyd Mayweather thing to go into a situation where he's going to lose. Anytime I feel like there's been a possibility of him losing a fight, he's ducked the fight, gone gone around it, gone underneath it. No, you're right on that. He's yeah. always ducked when he he always plays. He's a smart businessman. That's why it's called Money Mayweather. He's smart as hell business. He was the highest paid athlete last year, and he boxes. I mean, it's it's incredible. And. That's what this is. That's what this whole thing is about. It's not about Mayweather beating McGregor. It's not about McGregor beating Mayweather. It's about getting these two guys in the ring, getting the stars, the two biggest stars from each sport, having them go at each other. I imagine McGregor seems like the guy who would be more willing to step out of his comfort zone and say, "I'll box him," and uh, and they're both going to make us like incredible amount of money. Um, well, everybody's going to pay for. It. I would buy it on pay per view. Yeah. So Dana, Dana White says it's not going to happen. I'm not sure exactly what Conor McGregor's obligations are to him, but I know he doesn't absolutely own Conor McGregor. Like, Conor McGregor can quit the UFC if... And the amount of money that these boxers can make, like, if it makes if it makes sense 
financially for McGregor to uh, quit the UFC and go fight Mayweather, he'll do it. He'll make more money in this one fight than he won ten fights combined on the UFC. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so if he if he's able to like say, look, if I make if I take this one fight w- with Mayweather and I make fifty million dollars, hundred million dollars, whatever it is, he's gonna do it. He's he. He's Dana White doesn't own him. He's allowed. He's allowed to like pursue his own stuff. And then honestly, they'd probably take him back later on just because he's such a big draw. Especially if he wins. I mean, this gives a chance to boost his overall legend dramatically, and Mayweather as well. However, it's, it all depends on what they do. What is the style of fighting they do? If this ever somehow happened, what is the style of fighting? And also, McGregor's much younger than Mayweather. Yeah, 12 years younger, I think. 12, 13 years. Much younger. Uh, Mayweather's about to turn 40. McGregor's 27, I think. He's in athletic prime. One of one of the best athletes in the world right now. Just uh, total freak. I got you. What about this? I think this is interesting. Or they do a boxing match, but with UFC gloves. <laughs> what, what, would, what, what makes you think that's interesting? It's going to be a knockout, for sure. Because that's going to be a uh, knockout. You know you're not going to freaking last 10 rounds with UFC gloves? Are you freaking kidding me? Those things barely you know what, you know what I've You know what I've heard about gloves in fighting in general? Is that it doesn't really protect the guy that's being hit. It allows the person who's swinging to punch harder. And protect his hands and his and wrists. Prote- and protect sure. his hands and his wrists. Yeah, so if you're fighting with a UFC glove in comparison to a heavier boxing glove, you might actually take a little bit off of your punch in comparison to... To how much you're putting through with your uh, with a boxing glove, so you might you might be less likely to come across a knockout. I feel like people swing harder in the UFC than they do in boxing. I I feel like they go for the knockout all the time <laughs> in UFC. They swing for the fences. Well, that's because the the fights are so short. You're you're me- you're messing around with three round fights. If you lose one round, all of a sudden you're you're down in the count, and you're like. I got to win this next round or I got to finish this fight before three rounds in comparison to a 12 round fight where if once you lose a couple rounds, there's still, yeah, it's much like, longer yeah, fight. Yeah, right you, there, you yeah. can lose the first four rounds, but if your endurance is better and you can find a way to win the next eight, then you, then you won the fight handily or you won fi- you win seven out of the next eight, whatever yeah, it you're is, right, you know? Man. Yeah. So, but I, I there ha- you have to be able to knock somebody out much faster with a UFC glove than a boxing glove. The, the impact. Would, there's way more damping in a boxing glove. Think about all that foam padding. I'm, I'm imagining the foam padding, but I'm like, also just imagining these guys are the best athletes in the world. Like they just uncock this whip of an arm that they've got, and it hit and it hits you. And it's like if they're swinging at a hundred percent compared to swinging at ninety percent, maybe an inch of foam doesn't really matter that much. Well, you can. They can. Obviously, they can knock the person out with either glove. But I'm saying that. You have a better chance of knocking that person out with an eighty percent swing with the UFC glove than a eighty percent boxing glove. I agree. Like if if that if that was the only aspect of the whole argument, then I would then I would agree with you that it's important. <laughs> Either way, this is a point point discussion, but I think it's fascinating, and uh, we'll come back with some NBA playoffs analysis. Did you ever see? Did you ever see? Uh, Floyd Mayweather versus Victor Ortiz. Did you watch that fight? No, I didn't. So not. this this is incredible, man. So Floyd Mayweather, not a not a huge guy, right? Um, Victor Victor Ortiz is fighting with him. He's kind of getting dirty, doing some things he's not supposed to do, grabbing onto him, holding him, like taking shots from the inside and stuff. And the re- the ref calls him over to say quits to, to to say like quit doing that. We're taking away points from you, whatever. Tito Ortiz comes back. Tito Ortiz? No, not Tito Ortiz. Victor Ortiz. I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be quite the fight. Yeah, that <laughs> would be incredible. <laughs> oh, man. Victor Ortiz comes back to, to fist bump him. Floyd Mayweather knocks, knocks him out. Cheap shot. Bam. Drops him. Fight over. This sounds like something I gotta look up. This seems yeah. pretty fascinating. Yeah, here. I, I, got, I got it pulled up right here. We can, we can watch it. Gotta, so, well, I mean, our listeners can't watch this, though. That's okay. We'll uh, we'll comment on it for him. We got. Well, it has a million views. All right. He had himself yeah, that's an awful idea, Bobby. Forget this. Anyway, this is all rumors. None of this is probably ever going to happen, but it is oh, definitely man, dude, fascinating I, I, to talk about. 
I think whenever the money is behind it that much, it's got the interest of the entire sports world. I could totally see this fight happening. Well, we'll root for it. Anyway, we'll be back with some NBA playoff stuff. All right, welcome back. So we're going to dive into some NBA playoff action now. And we're going to talk about the injuries occurring in the NBA playoffs and how incredible they are. Specifically, let's talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. They now have the chance to become the big team in Los Angeles, take over the Lakers. They play both They both play in the Staples Center, and the Lakers are miserable. The Clippers have tons of talent. However, the worst luck they have in the same game, one playoff game, Chris Paul breaks his hand, Blake Griffin aggravates his quad. They're both out for the playoffs. So, hands down, they, what ultimately happens, they lose to the Portland Trailblazers in six games because, really, they have no one to lead that offense. You have Crawford just jacking up shots everywhere, and DeAndre Jordan's not going to create a shot. But anyway, Bobby, I have a question for you here. Are the Los Angeles Clippers the most unlucky franchise in sports history? I think they're caught with a permanent state of being the little brother team to the Lakers. Forever, you're saying. Forever. I heard uh, last year there, when the Clippers got eliminated from the playoffs back in 2015, uh, fans at L.A. Dodgers game, when, when it was announced that they lost to, uh, I can't, can't recall who it was. Did they lose to the Rockets last year? or the Rockets. Remember yeah. they had the big lead in game right. six and they blew it. And you know what the reaction was from the fans at the L.A. Dodgers game? They were cheering. That's ridiculous. Because okay. L.A. is a Lakers town for life. Like, they they made... I don't think the people of L.A. want the Clippers to overtake the Lakers. I don't think they're going to embrace it. I think it's kind of like a little subculture out there. Um, are they the least lucky team? Man, they have had a bad streak. I would say... Uh, I mean, they've had some recent luck. The reason that Chris Paul is there instead of Los Angeles Lakers is because uh, David Stern vetoed a trade that would have sent Pau Gasol and Lamar Odom to the Hornets and Chris Paul to the Lakers, which uh, would have probably sustained the Lakers' greatness for some time, having the best backcourt in the NBA. Yeah, that trade was crazy. But anyway, but the Clippers, it's they got Chris Paul, right? They, they ended up getting Chris Paul. Uh, it's it's just tough, man. What are you, what are you going to do when you got the Warriors and the Spurs having two of the best teams in the history of basketball, and there's all these other great basketball teams. The Thunder are great. The Clippers are great. The Cavaliers are great. But they're not going to win a championship because two of the best teams in the history of basketball exist right now. They could have really competed this year, in my opinion. If they would have stayed healthy, they could have really competed. I think that Jeff Green trade really – Helps. I don't believe Jeff Green is really that great of a player, but I think it helps stabilize a position of need for that team. They have a lot of great players all over the field. I think J.J. Redick is one of the most underrated the players court. in the All over the court, thanks. J.J. Redick is one of the most underrated uh, players in the league. DeAndre Jordan, incredible defender and what he does for them, both sides of the court. Blake Griffin is maybe the best all-around power forward. That, that there is Chris Paul, of course, is is a superstar. Um, so we're talking we're talking about a great team. I just don't know. I mean, obvious obviously those guys don't go down with an injury. They're probably playing the under the undermanned Warriors right now, which uh, tough to imagine them not being up in that series with Steph Curry sitting out the I first three games of that series. Be. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. So I mean, bad luck, bad timing. Um, it's off, so I'm going to go into why the case why they might be the most unlucky team in not just basketball history. I'm just saying in sports history. Uh, minus the, I mean the Cubs are kind of interesting because they haven't won a pennant in over a hundred years. But that, I think okay. the Cleveland Browns are pretty bad. So there's a lot of teams. Okay, but oh, I'm yeah. just put them in the category. All right. Yeah. So they obviously have never won a title. Mm-hmm. They they moved to Los Angeles in 1984. And they struggled like crazy for the next five, six years. Then they actually had a run. They started making the playoffs for five or six years like that, but never really made much noise. And then uh, they moved to the Staples Center. They struggled more for another six years. They get to the 2000s. They get Elton Brand. They start like 
fighting for an eight to seven seed, but that's about it. And then they go back into misery for a while. Then they draft Sean Livingston, who was supposed to be an NBA superstar. He was in high school. He was all over magazines. He wasn't quite to LeBron's level, but something like that. And if you guys know who Sean Livingston is, he's now the backup point guard for the Golden State Warriors and playing great. But he was originally drafted by the Clippers and suffered one of the most gruesome injuries I've ever seen in my life. Back before that injury, uh, I think he tore pretty much every ligament in his knee, just uh, completely tore his knee apart. But back before that injury, he was kind of a can't-miss up-and-coming star. Like, this guy was going to be great. Well, he was... But you know how good he is now, right? He can yeah. dribble. He's so smart. He can do all these things. But back before that injury, he was super athletic, too. Yeah. Super athletic. So just imagine him being that much more athletic. He's already a very good player. But that injury was gruesome. So that set their franchise back um, even more. And then they, the next many years, they really struggled. They made the playoffs maybe one or two years throughout. And then they finally get Chris Paul, right? He's the savior. They get they have Brick Griffin before that. They drafted him before that. They drafted well DeAndre Jordan. And they're like, oh, wow. We got a team now. We finally got a great team. Now they run into a buzzsaw in the Warriors and the Spurs in their run. Mm-hmm. And now they get hurt. They may get – they have their opportunity. They feel like they have their opportunity now, but they really are so far away. They are far away, and there's a good chance that this thing falls apart before it ever comes to fruition. Like, it's it's tough to maintain a team with that many players that deserve to get paid. Um, when the formula's not working, there's a good chance he's got, one of these guys might split town. I mean, they almost just lost DeAndre Jordan last year. It came to uh, some type of – epic battle between them and the Dallas Mavericks over DeAndre Jordan's affection to see which team could like sign the star center. Yeah, that was ridiculous. And either way, it's I thought it was just really interesting to bring up whether they are the most uh historically I would say in basketball you can't argue with it. You can't argue that they have been the toughest team to root for. In the end. I mean, Cleveland Cavaliers have been pretty tough, but... Yeah, they haven't yeah. won it forever, but at least they've made championship. They had LeBron. Right now, they look great. Um, that kind of segues great into the next segment. Let's uh, let's talk about the actual NBA playoffs right now. What's going on? What Where the current standings are and how we're looking. The teams that are left, Cleveland is looking good, man. They are rolling their offense uh, when they have LeBron and Channing Frye and Kevin Love all on the floor along with J.R. Smith and Kyrie Irving. It's just too many shooters, too much space for LeBron to operate. Um, Two sweeps in a row. They're on to the Eastern Conference Finals. They swept the Pistons, and then they swept... Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks. And uh, so they're looking pretty out in the East. They get to play... The winner of the Raptors and the Miami Heat. Yeah. Um, one thing on this Cleveland. So Cleveland did sweep. They're moving on to Eastern Conference Finals. Well, I'm kind of hesitant right now. Everybody is literally all over them, right? They think, oh, they are back. They're ready to rock and roll. But if you watch these games, they got so many wide open looks at these threes. Granted, they hit them. They set the NBA record for most threes in a game, being 28 three-pointers in one game. And that's not just playoffs. That's any NBA game ever. And that's impressive by Nitzel right. There's no doubt about it. But going into these playoffs, I'm curious what Vegas' odds would have been. If you would have said, okay, the Cavaliers are going to sweep their first two series, I don't think it would have been too ridiculous to say yes. I think it's really not that big of a surprise. When you've got that much talent on one team and you're playing against teams, I mean, you're playing against well-coached teams. Extremely inferior. Inferior in talent, yeah. We, the, mo- the most talented player they played so far has been Paul Millsap. And uh, when you stack him up against guys like LeBron, Kevin Love, is, Kyrie Irving. You don't even know if Paul Millsap's the third best player on the Cavs. Yeah. no. I is mean, he better than Kevin Love? Probably not. It's just it's a very interesting topic. He's a way much better defender, but that's a whole other subject. But anyway, it's I think... Uh, I'm a, I still think that I think the Cavs are great. They're going to go to the NBA Finals. I I don't think Toronto or Miami is going to even come close to. Battling Unfortunately, them. I was I was thinking Miami might have a chance to take them down, but they've actually hit an injury bug as well. 
with with uh, their star center Hassan Whiteside. This guy's kind of like patrolling the defense, keeping the uh, keeping the basket safe. Um, he goes out with the same knee injury that Steph Curry just went down with, and now he's out for two weeks, and they have to get past the Raptors without one of their most effective players. And the Raptors, it's it's no cakewalk, you know. They have a lot of good players on that team. No, I don't think they're going to get past the Raptors, personally. And, uh, yeah, the Hassan Whiteside is very sad. Another injury. Um, sprained MCL, same as Steph Curry. And uh, right now they are trailing in their series 2-1 to the Toronto Raptors. And Game 4 is currently in progress. And with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Toronto has a six-point lead. So okay, Toronto wow. wins tonight. Going up 3-1, winning both games in Miami. That series is over. So we might be able to touch up on that by the end of the podcast, see where that see where that game has ended up. Uh, okay, so that kind of uh, talks about what's going on out east. Let's talk about the Western Conference. Let's go. Let's talk about those Warriors. You know I want to talk about them. But uh, it just came out today that Steph Curry is playing tonight in Game 4. He has been out pretty much all the playoffs. He played Game 1. Got hurt in game two at the ankle, then re-hurt himself and he came back. So he's pretty much played one game in this whole NBA playoffs. And he is coming back for game four. And I see how much rust he has. But they are playing the Portland Trailblazers in Portland. The Warriors currently have a 2-1 lead in that series. And if you go, if this is a big game for Portland because if Golden State goes up 3-1, that series is over. So a couple of interesting notes on Steph Curry. First thing... Just got awarded the MVP award for the second straight season. Uh, extremely impressive. Him coming back from this injury, I'm curious because he is a player that his entire game is based around his confidence. Him coming back to this injury in a high pressure situation, um, this is an important game for them to win. You don't want to you don't want to be stringing along the Portland Trailblazers. You want to get out of this series. Get some time to rest up before you have to play against the winner of the Spurs and Thunder, who are both uh, going to give you everything you've got. I can imagine two of, two of the very best teams in the league. Um, how con- is it tough for Curry to come back and have the same level of confidence? So you in think his shot? Curry's confidence is going to be affected? I don't know if you if you've ever played with an injury, but I had the it, exact same injury my senior year does at it, UNM. Does it not get Does it not get in your head a little bit when you're trying to do, especially with how much the Warriors have relied on Curry? Does it not maybe a little bit of physical limitation might affect his confidence? Okay, I'll give you that. So physical limitation, I will give you that for relating to the injury. Because I had the same MCL injury, and uh, when I came back playing. During warm-ups, I felt it, of course, and I'm noticing it there. But once that game started, my adrenaline was going, and the craziness of the game is happening, right? And you're constantly just thinking, what's the next play? How am I going to do this? You really forget about it. Unless it's really hurting you, Uh you forget about it. Uh And I feel the Warriors would not put Curry out there at all. Like, 0% chance if it was still hurting him. Zero. 0% chance if it was still hurting him. Different between limiting and hurting. Okay. So okay. the thing with this injury is it's a stretch of the ligament or the tendon, whatever it is. And uh, so it just makes your knee feel a little unstable. And so it tightens up like crazy after the fact of the injury. And you just feel like you don't have the range of motion. But after two weeks with the grade one, I think he's healthy. The only difference in basketball is he relies on his agility like crazy. So he's cutting. It's a lateral movement that will be affected, not the straight line. It's all lateral movement. And... I just don't foresee the Warriors up 2-1 in the series putting Curry out there if he has pain. Okay. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think there's a lot of pressure on him. He's risen to the occasion all year and all the last year as well. Um, it sucks to see him go down with an injury in the middle of the playoffs. So we're seeing, witnessing one of the best basketball seasons in the history of basketball right now. Um, so he, it's, I'm, uh, I'm hoping he comes back and he's un. I want to see him. If the Warriors go down, I want to see them go down with Steph Curry. I don't want to. I don't want to see it be a problem. Like oh, they would have won, but Steph Curry. You don't want You don't want asterisk. No, you want you want Steph Curry performing at the top of his game, the same that you want. Uh, you just hate, hate to see all these guys going down with injuries. It's it's a shame. Uh, maybe the NBA season is a little too long and grueling. Maybe it's just. Uh, nature of the game. Some guys are getting hurt sometimes, but 
I'd really like to see Steph Curry be able to play against whoever it's going to be between the Spurs and uh, Thunder. And then if they win that, if they win that series, I want to. I'm, I'm honestly, I want them to win the championship again. It's been like one of the most fun seasons to watch in basketball that I that I can remember. We can make case of the best team of all time if they win the championship. And one thing, just to final up with this, is uh, Curry still has a chance to not lose anything on his historic season or anything. Because the first round matchup was a joke. Everybody knew they were going to win. The second round matchup really is kind of a joke too. Portland's not there yet to really compete for a title. And so if he can come back and beat either the Spurs or the Thunder in the West Coast Finals and beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Finals, nobody's even going to remember those two first round series. Yeah, not at all. So not it's all. that's not going to change anything, and they're still going to be great. Like it's still going to be – if Curry puts on a show, he is still going to be – by far the biggest star in the NBA again. So it was a it was a MCL medial cruciate ligament uh, sprain, correct? There you go, there Bob. <laughs> All right, Doctor Bob. All right, so let's move on to the other series in the Western Conference. It's really the most exciting series by far. It is uh, the OKC OKC Oklahoma City Thunder facing the San Antonio Spurs, and right now the series is tied two two. They both have split the series at home, and it's going to head back to San Antonio for Game Five. And uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on this series so far, Bob? It's just so interesting having to watch. Uh, it's it feels like this game of um, the man versus the machine. You know, like you've got. When, do you remember Argentina playing against Germany in the World Cup? And it's like, is Messi going to be able to take down Germany? In, in this uh, World Cup series, because Messi's the best player in the world, but then he's got to play against Germany. And when you're watching Germany play, it's like, oh my gosh, these guys are so incredibly good at soccer. They Just their ball movement, their athleticism, so their Germany's teamwork. the machine. Germany is Yamashina. Yeah. That is really funny because you're making me... I'm going off track just really quick. You're making me think of Rocky when he fights the machine in the Fort Rocky. That was and he, Russian. Oh, he's Russian. Either way, he's a damn machine, big white dude, so I'm guessing German. Germany Russian. is the machine, and the San Antonio Spurs are the machine. They, well-oiled, they've been running the same program for years, ball movement, three-point shots. Um, but they still have stars. Both teams, Germany and San Antonio. Spurs still have tons of stars. Tons of stars. They're, you can argue that Marcus Aldridge has been the best player in the playoffs so far. It's been definitely pretty close. I, I He's shooting I like 70% from the field. I think LaMarcus Aldridge has been one of the best players in the NBA for a long time. The guy's he's an animal. He's great at – I mean, it's, it's he's a classic Spurs-type player where you're dealing with a guy that's not flashy, not a headline maker, just kind of quiet, um, not going out, big celebrity. But every year coming in – did they even miss the playoffs one year while he was in Portland? I have no I'm idea. guessing so, but I don't remember. I don't think they did. I think they were there every single year. I'm guessing so. Let's make a bet on air. I'll bet you lunch that they did miss at least one year. Okay, you got it. All right, we'll you get back it. to that next episode. We'll, we'll figure it out. Hopefully, I we'll get, be doing our next I like episode my at a, uh, some type of uh, delicious sandwich shop. What's that sandwich shop that you like them and all? Oh, cheese and coffee. Cheese and coffee. That, Shout that's out to cheese and coffee take, in Albuquerque. That's what I'm making you take me to lunch. Anyway, let's go back to the series and. I agree. I think it's very fascinating. You have Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, really versus the Spurs. However, in Game Four, they had Oklahoma City had key players that really made big plays that really had them win. Kevin Durant was incredible, no doubt about it. He was the best player on the floor in Game Four. But Deion Waiters had 17 points. You had Stephen Adams and Ernest Cantor, the two big men, getting every offensive rebound and making plays. So yeah, I think. Uh, OKC has a chance. Um, it's definitely not a two-on-five situation, but it just seems like we're going back to the Thunder with the same thing every year where it just feels like we got Kevin Durant, ISO this play, Russell Westbrook pick and roll this play. Kevin Durant pick and roll next play, Russell Westbrook ISO the next play. And they just go back and forth, back and forth, where it, it gets repetitive and boring, and those guys are two of the absolute best players in the NBA. But when, you, when your offense is that simplistic – it becomes a lot easier to stop than the Spurs who are running these like intricate off-ball screen plays, so much ball movement, much so movement, much movement, yeah. and so uh, and so much more versatility in that you don't know where you're going to need to stop them, you know? All right, quick question for you, so let's get a quick answer here. 
Do you blame the ice? Now that we've seen it through two head coaches, do you blame the isolation between Westbrook and Durant on the coaching staff or on the players? That is a tough question. Um, I feel like when you're coaching a lot of these superstar players, sometimes it's sometimes it's tough to gain control of them, tough to gain respect and confidence from even the upstairs and within the locker room, like upper management and within the locker room, confidence to instill your system instead of go towards the extremely effective uh, basketball players that you have on your team. I think we see the same thing with LeBron James where he goes generally, they run the LeBron James offense, uh, which wasn't necessarily the case in Miami where Eric Spolstra was doing an incredible job of, uh, of coaching that team and not let it, not letting LeBron have complete reins of the team. Um, and that doesn't just only have to do with Eric Spolstra doing a great job. That has to do with the front office prioritizing Eric Spolstra above LeBron James. And I think we're not witnessing that with a lot of these other teams around the league. I think DeMarcus Cousins has been over uh, valued, has been respected more than his coaches have to this point. I think Durant and Westbrook have been valued more than their coaches have to this point. And I think sometimes it gets tough to actually coach a team when you're dealing with that big of a star and that talented of a player. So, so quick answer, player or coach? The players. Okay, I agree. I'm starting to lean more towards that's the players because I don't think I think the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I feel like the coaches are not telling him to do the same thing over and over. So they are doing something's different. There's no doubt there is difference between um, uh, Scott Brooks, Scott and, Billy Brooks Donovan. and Donovan. However, I am going to start putting some blame on the players. And Russell Westbrook's turned the ball a lot over in the fourth quarter. But uh, all right, so this series. Quick uh, prediction, Bob. Who wins the series? Spurs. I think Spurs in seven as well. All right. When we come back, we are going to talk about the biggest story in sports by far, maybe in the past decade, that I guarantee you most of you haven't heard about. All right. Welcome back to the Raymtown Riot Podcast. And we here's Bobby going to talk about the biggest story in sports around the world right now. So normally on the Raymtown Riot podcast, uh, we cover sports that we're more familiar with. But myself, I couldn't really call myself a soccer expert, but I am a soccer fan. I've been playing soccer most of my life. Uh, it's big time in my family. And one of the biggest upset stories and uh, really just incredible Cinderella story that that's ever happened in sports happened this last year in the English Premier League. So uh, when we're talking about the English Premiership, we're talking about um, a team that's like a, a league that's very, very elitist. There have been five winners since the year 92. Uh, these guys are Chelsea, Manchester City, Arsenal, Manu. Man U and Liverpool. And in the Premiership, there is no salary cap. So these teams that have these big markets, have all this support, are typically spending about five to six times as much as the teams in the lower part of the bracket. And the, the way that these leagues work is... The, the top teams stay at the top. When you're in the bottom teams, like the bottom four teams, I believe, or the bottom two teams, get relegated down to what would be called uh, this. I'm not exactly sure. How it, maybe the second league or the, uh, I think it's like the English uh, second league, which is one step below the Premier League. It's like the D League in basketball. Yeah. And then the top teams from the D League would come and step up to the Premier League. So... When there's this team called Leicester City, and in 2015, they were about to be relegated down to the second league, uh, losing so much, and they, they ended up turning it around. They won their last three games and picked it up, and were in the last spot to not get taken down to the next league for the following season. Um, every starting in the 2016 season. Every year, there's some teams that 
aren't expected to do well but start off pretty hot and you think they're going to start losing any second now, right? These guys, they, they start hot and it just doesn't slow down. And the whole time, the whole season, everyone's like, yeah, Leicester, they're doing well right now, but they're not going to make it. They're not, they don't have that support. They don't have that money. They don't have that talent. Yeah, so just to put this in perspective, so they won the, the, the actual Premier League title, right? They just the won odds? the Premier League title, yeah. Listen to these odds. And if you're a betting man, you are literally smacking your head against the wall. The odds for Leicester City to win at some of the bookkeeping before the season started were 5,000 to 1. Think about that. 5,000 to 1. Yeah. You bet $5. $5. You're winning $25,000 at the end. It's absolutely incredible. A standard bet, say say you just make some, uh, you're, you're a Leicester fan, or you're just a betting man that likes to take a long shot bet. You put a $20 bet down. You will, at the end of the season, you have $100,000. $20, $20, $20 bet, pretty common in the betting world. You know, just kind of throw it out there. You're not going to miss it. They ended up winning the Premier League Championship, and they win a hundred. That betting man would have won hundred thousand dollars. Well, think yeah. about this: if, if you're out in Vegas, right, and you're before the NFL season, and you know you're in Vegas, you're probably drinking, right? And your buddy goes, "You won't put twenty bucks down on your favorite team to win the title." Most of the times, you're like, "Hell yeah, I'm going to put twenty bucks down." Could you imagine just doing something like that? This is absolutely astounding. There is never, ever, in any sport, in anything around the world, been odds like this and actually been fulfilled. So, is this what's crazy? These odds are actually shutting down some book cooking companies because it's incredibly they the payouts were couldn't so pay it off. Yeah, which really it's it's like it's like breaking it's not Vegas obviously, but breaking this type of thing. And they've came out saying that no matter what, they will never set odds again like this. Ever. So this is incredible. Cha- changing. Incredible. So it's put it this way. This is way George Mason making the Final Four in a silver tournament maybe one of the most historic things we've seen in American sports in the past 10 years. Or was this? I don't even know how long it was. Maybe 15 years ago. I don't know. But them making the Final Four was way less odds than Manchester City winning the title. Just it was incredible. They were expected to get last place in the league, and they end up, they end up getting first place. Their entire payroll for their team was 48 million pounds. Compared to the top five teams that were all over 200 million pounds. Yeah, it's So they're working with the payroll of a quarter of the, the teams that they're competing against at the end of the season. Uh, Manchester United is supposed to win this this championship. Man City, yeah, one of those teams. And then, what I think about this, this is way worse. I'm curious what the odds are now on the Cleveland Browns winning the Super Bowl. This is way worse odds than that. Maybe Vegas is just smarter than these other bookkeepers. But either way, it's freaking crazy. Yeah, so th- this would be the equivalent of, or I mean, maybe even crazier than the Cleveland Browns winning the Super Bowl. Like, say, Robert Griffin III beca- uh, gets some type of uh, superhero powers or some, some type of <laughs> they, they decide, like, in the middle of some Disney movie and they, the Cleveland Browns end up winning the Super Bowl. It still wouldn't stack up to this. It's it's one of the most incredible things that's happened in the history of sports. Um, great story. Stoked for these guys. Okay, so the Cleveland Browns are 200 to 1 odds this year. 200 to 1. 200 to 1. Okay. They were 5,000 to 1. You're talking, what is that, 20, 25 times more? <sighs> Remarkable. Anyway, oh, we thought that our listeners had to know about this because this – is by far the biggest thing around the world right now. The U.S., obviously, we don't follow soccer as much, but this is the biggest story in sports right now, and it is fascinating. And uh, we'll come back uh, here in a second. Take a quick break. All right, here we are, guys, back with the Raymtown Riot podcast. Uh, Some hot news in the NFL. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Sam Bradford and uh, demanding a trade from the Philadelphia Eagles. And just recently, he has rescinded his trade request and reported to camp. In my opinion, a great move for the guy. I think he's still got a great chance to start this season. 
be the lead of a talented uh, team. Obviously, the Eagles are headed in a new direction in the future, but as far as Sam Bradford's career goes, I think his best opportunity to maintain a career as a professional quarterback is to play this season with the Philadelphia Eagles, do the best that he can, try to get as many wins as he can, look impressive, and set himself up for free agency the following season. That being said, Matt, let's transition to talking about the NFL draft, uh, the first round, and some of our big winners from the draft. So you want to give us a brief overview of the first round there? Yeah, no problem. Let's, uh, let's go into that and uh, really get our thoughts. So, as we figured, the top two picks were going to be quarterbacks. And so the LA Rams, they took Jared Goff, the quarterback from Cal. And that's not a surprise to anybody, and it's predicted that he's going to start right away. Uh, second overall, the Philadelphia Eagles took Carson Wentz. They traded up for their quarterback. Speaking of Sam Bradford, he's the future Carson Wentz is, but they want Sam Bradford to be the bridge for um, Carson A mentor, Wentz. a tutor, uh, kind of teach the guy a little bit. He's coming out of South Dakota State University and uh, jumping all the way to being the head quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, I think it's a nice luxury for them to be able to have someone else uh, kind of teach him the ropes for a year. Yeah, well, they really got three quarterbacks in there now. Really, he's going to be the third-string quarterback, Carson Wentz. Chase Daniel will be ahead of him. He's making $7 million a year. It's pretty ridiculous with the quarterback situation. But third overall, the Chargers, which was, this was really a surprise. Uh, nobody had this in any mock draft. They took Joey Bosa, which has been... I've said throughout the po this podcast that I think Joey Bosa is the best player in this draft. Yeah, you've been high on him. You had and him the number one overall player on your big board. So. Yeah, and I think I think this is a really good pick for the Chargers. They've really, really struggled at getting at the passer for a while, and uh, they took the best player available. And the most polarized, arguably the most polarizing pick in the first round, the Cowboys picked Ezekiel Elliott, the running back out of Ohio State. So, uh. Take a minute to talk about Cowboy Nation. Um, I think was a was a poor pick. I talked to some Cowboy fans, Isaac Dow in particular. He wasn't that sad about it, but I don't think I think there was a lot of players I had higher on my big board that were available that were in positions of need for the uh, Cowboys. I, I I think Ezekiel Elliott's going to be a good player for them, but I'm just not a big fan of. Uh, taking a running back that high in the draft. So it's, uh, it really goes to the philosophy. They think Ezekiel it will help them, will be the biggest impact player for this coming year for that team, which I don't think you can really argue with too much because that offensive line is great. It's a win-now win now move. Yeah, they have the doing. best offensive line in football, and they now have a running back that is being compared to one of the best prospects since Adrian Peterson coming out. So, yeah. I mean, it's... If he puts up 1,200 yards this year and 12 touchdowns, I don't think I think so everybody's gonna be loving this so, pick. So, so let me justify uh, Cowboys a little bit because now I'm thinking of it. You know, they are the best pass rusher, defensive end, a big position need for them was already off the board at this point. Um, Jalen Ramsey, stud cornerback position that they definitely needed. But cornerbacks traditionally have a harder time transitioning than running backs. Running back Correct. is one of the easiest positions to come in as a rookie and contribute. 100%. So if they're going for a Super Bowl this year, which they probably should be with an aging Tony Romo, and they're not going to be able to afford to keep that offensive line together for so many years. So You can understand it. Yeah, you can definitely yeah, understand definitely. it. Definitely. All right, moving on. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars get Jalen Ramsey. Uh, they pretty much rushed to the announcement. And uh, they were super excited to get him. Ecstatic uh, that he's still on the board. Absolute yeah, freak absolutely freak athlete. Yeah. So happy. They really need a secondary help. And the Ravens at six took Ronnie Stanley, um, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame. Not too surprised. We'll get back to the biggest surprise in the draft, the biggest topic. We'll get that after we just say these picks. But I like Ronnie Stanley. Stanley. I like beast, Ronnie Stanley yeah. a lot too. He's, I mean, he's a first round grade. So I mean, he's, they look all, they look good from right here. It wasn't a reach. No. Nope. Uh, the 49ers, my team. They took DeForest Buckner, the massive DN from Oregon. He's the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, 6'7", 290. And uh, I really like the 49ers the running a 3-4 running a defense? Correct. So he's, he's perfect. He's a five technique. Yeah, yeah he'll, be a, he'll be a defense end um, for the Niners, and I think it's, it was a solid pick. They really need to get better 
gave way too much rushing yards last year, and I like the pick. Uh, number eight, the Tennessee Titans traded back in the first round and got Jack Conklin, the offensive tackle for Michigan State. Seems like a really, really solid pick. He seems like one of the safest players in the draft, and Mariota needed help. Uh, number nine, the Chicago Bears traded up two spots and got Leonard Floyd, the outside linebacker from Georgia, and he really is the guy that people think has the most upside of any pass rusher. He's a freak athletically, and if it can transition to the NFL, he could be a pro. It's always an interesting move when you trade up two spots because I feel like they must have been convinced that one of the two teams above them was going to take the guy that they wanted. 100%. So they were sitting at 11, and the New York Giants are sitting at 10. It's been rumored the Giants really, really, really wanted Leonard okay. Floyd. Okay. So it made a lot of sense. Okay. And uh, being that, the Giants took Eli Apple um, at number 10, who is a big corner, athletic corner from Ohio State, which was arguably the biggest reach of the first round based on Mel Kuyper, Tom McShay's big board, whatever the hell that really means. But, uh, yeah. And uh, so that's just that's the top 10. Let's look at uh, – a couple big time teams that people care about. Um, so the the Oakland Raiders, a big time franchise. They took Carl Joseph, the safety out of West Virginia at fourteen. He's coming off an ACL injury, but man, this guy can lay the wood, and he really fits the demeanor of the Oakland Raiders. I think it was a solid, solid pick. Mm-hmm. And Bob, let's get your take on uh, the Lions here at sixteen. You're a Lions fan, and they got Taylor Decker. Detroit Lions draft, I, I loved it. I was hoping Laramie Tunsil would continue to fall to uh, to the Lions, but I've been watching Taylor Decker. It's been kind of rumored that I knew we were going tackle. Um, I was happy that one of the big guys was still available. I think he's an absolute stud playing for Ohio State. The Lions did good throughout the whole draft. They have, uh, I mean, it's a tough blow for them losing Calvin Johnson, but they did a good job in free agency of picking up some guys, and I have confidence that if they improve their offensive line game, I think we'll see a lot out of Stafford this year. And they also did a great job in the second round picking up a Sean Robinson, a guy who I think had definite first-round talent and just kind of slid into the second round because of the depth of this year's draft class at defensive tackle. So I think we got um, two guys that are first-round talents at the two positions that we needed most. I love the Lions draft. All right, so uh, getting back to this uh – Look at this. The Colts, they got Ryan Kelly, the center out of Alabama. Finally, finally, Andrew Luck gets some O-line help, and I think this is a solid, solid pick. He's a plug-and-play, and he's going to start day one for the Colts, and a great pick. And uh, another summary, just there's four receivers taken in the first round. You have the Cleveland Browns getting Coleman from Baylor. You have the Redskins getting Josh Doxson from TCU. Laquan Treadwell falling a little bit all the way to the Minnesota Vikings. And then uh, I guess the... Uh, one of the last big things is uh, the Denver Broncos trading up to get Paxton Lynch at the 26th. So I just spot. got I just got Sports Illustrated magazine delivered to me today, and guess who's on the cover? Paxton Lynch saying the Denver doesn't have to worry about their quarterback problems anymore. That's what that's what's on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week. A lot of faith. Bold, bold statement by Sports Illustrated. I feel like. Um, some of the things being held against this guy was that he's not NFL ready. Uh, he needs some time to develop. His accuracy isn't there. His his mind for the game isn't there. Uh, Matt, tell me what you think about the pick. What's funny is I keep hearing all these analysts, Mel Kuyper, Tom McShay, all these people saying, ideally you want Paxton Lynch to sit for a year and learn and do all these things, which doesn't make sense to me. Ideally you want Paxton Lynch to be great right away. That's ideally what you want. It's <laughs> just like literally point, yeah. everybody keeps okay. saying this. Ideally, this is what you want. No, you don't. Ideally, you want him to be great right away. Yeah, ideally, you want him to be the next Tom Brady, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you want him to come in and be perfect. Yeah. But what it, they're saying is, realistically, it looks like he needs a he needs year time, which, to develop. Agreed. He played in a spread system, always in the shotgun at Memphis, played at a lot of times against inferior opponents, and. Uh, it uh, it's gonna be interesting. We'll see what happens. This with him. is not a team that has years to give him to develop. They just uh, sal- what's what's the name of the, the tag that they put on Von Miller? Yeah, the franchise tag. They franchise tag Von Miller. They have 
limited time and space to keep together their gonna, superstar they're gonna roster. Sign, they're going to sign Von Miller. He's gonna gonna, get, I'm, I'm not saying they're not they're going to lose Von Miller, but they will start to lose their talent. They they, they are an extremely talented, talent. extremely talented team all across the board. One of these teams that needs to be looking at winning this year. Agreed. I agree. Uh, well, I mean, they won last year, so they have that in their pocket they can think about. That's I mean, true. they won last That's year. That's true. But they've already started losing a lot of their talent. Um, I'm just saying they're not so, built for the long haul. They're built to win now. Would you agree or disagree? I have quite a bit of faith in John Elway that he can construct a team maintaining his key components. I think uh, Trevathan is, you know, is a huge loss at linebacker, bigger than Malik Jackson, the D-tackle, D-end. But anyway, that's a side. That's kind of a side note. But I think Paxton Lynch ultimately has a chance to be really good. Obviously, he's a first-round pick. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. And Mark Sanchez is going to start the year at quarterback for them. And so going back, a couple other picks. The 49ers traded back into the first round, and they got Joshua Garnett, the guard from Stanford. And it was honestly got a lot of crap from pretty much everybody saying it was a bad pick. But they had so many draft picks to play with. They had 12 draft picks this year. So they traded away some of those, and they took the player they really, really wanted. They were extremely high on him. He's going to start right away at guard. And if you have a player you're that much in love with, I don't mind going up and getting him when you have that much currency to deal with, currency and draft picks. Yeah. So I don't mind I mean, it's as not much. Like, it's not like all of these draft picks are going to end up being guys that contribute on your team. So if you, if you have one guy that you have your heart set on, go get him. Um that being said, I just don't think guard is ever really a sexy position to take. Like guard, guards are kind of uh, definitely an important position to to have. They involved in like protecting the quarterback and uh, and powering forward the run game. But it's just always seems like when you take a guard in the first round, it's kind of always considered a reach. Yeah, people think you can get them later rounds. It's not a sexy pick. But look what the Cowboys did with Zach Martin in the first round a couple years ago. He transferred a guard, and he was great, and it made that team so much better. And so, that's another thing. Don't a lot of uh, don't a lot of teams draft uh, underperforming tackles late in late in the draft, and well, then try to convert them, them to. I would guards? call them underperforming. Oh, uh, well, I guess late in draft, yeah. But I, I thought you were saying so. They draft a lot of tackles in the first or second, third round, and transition them to guards. Yeah, because not everybody can play left tackle in the NFL. And speaking of left tackles, let's talk about the biggest story in the draft, really is Laramie Tunsil. So he was the number one overall player on most boards. He's the offensive tackle from Ole Miss. He's a really big dude with ballerina feet. And this is such a fascinating story because 15 minutes, 15 minutes before the draft starts, a photo surfaces on his Twitter account of him wearing a gas mask with a bong attached to it, smoking weed. And because of this picture, alone this picture, NFL teams have came out with this, it caused him from falling, who knows, maybe the third overall pick to the Chargers, all the way to 13 to the Miami Dolphins. That's a gigantic slide for the number one overall player. I think there's no chance he gets past the sixth pick, right? Like like Laramie Tunsil, renowned top tackle on the board above Ronnie Stanley. So that so that that I consider to be his floor for where he would have for where he would have ended That's up. That's what the draft. most people thought. And he slides an additional seven picks. Uh, two more tackles draft. Two tackles drafted above him. One more, Conklin and Stanley. Conklin and Stanley. Okay. Um. So what the hell happened, Matt? You got any theories as to how a, uh, how his Twitter got hacked? Who would have this type of? Uh... This is modern. This is literally the, a modern day problem of first of its kind. This is fascinating because. Now we're talking about social media doing something really bad for someone. Somebody this, hacked his account because there's no way. It seems like it's somebody who's close to him, honestly. Well, it has to be. Who knows this it, password? It, it has, has to be someone close. It has because not only did they, he's never denied that the picture was password. Him. They he also had a picture him. of him smoking a gas mask from high school. This could be like his ex girlfriend, one of his cousins or brothers or something. Like who hates this guy? It's and somebody, who, somebody who wants that knows to screw him. him out of money. Well, somebody that knows password to put on his account because there's no way in hell he's putting on his account 15 minutes for the draft. He's not freaking stupid. But anyway, is there any potential this was a conspiracy theory and he wanted to play for Miami? He wanted to get to the Miami Dolphins. No, because there's no way he would have known that nobody was going to draft him until 13. I was really surprised that the Giants passed on him. 
to be honest. But anyway, I think it's fascinating, and this is the new problem, and they're not sure whether they're going to do legal action towards this. Like, how are they going to go about this? Because this cost him millions of dollars of sliding that far. You're talking about a third over pick to 13 is a big difference. Millions of dollars. And they'd have to hire some investigators that know their way around IP addresses and stuff to figure out who was able to get into his seems Twitter. Like Twitter and post could that figure this out. Twitter seems like they would have the most brilliant people in this, but Twitter could figure out who logged in from a different computer. I mean, there's so much stuff going on with the well, internet. Well, it's crazy. That's why this is so interesting because it's a first of its kind, really, <coughs> really the first of its kind. And uh, either way, I think that. I think he's gonna be fine. I, he's not. I don't think he's gonna be a pothead in the NFL. I think he will be okay. And I think the Dolphins got a freaking steal at thirteen. They did. They did. That being said, the Dolphins definitely got uh, maybe the most a guy that was at the top of a lot of big boards, at least top two or three on pretty much everyone's big board, and they got him with the thirteenth pick. So you got to be happy about that. Let's talk about some other teams that really nailed it this draft. Uh, go ahead, pick one, Matt, and then I'll pick one after you. What was the team you really liked? Who I really liked. I have to go with what history and what statistics and everybody tells you. I mean, I'm an engineer, so I like the numbers game. And the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans. They kept trading back and acquiring more picks. And if you look at the Titans, they got a lot of, lot of quality players on that team. And we're still able to trade back up and get it off the tackle to secure their line. So they got Jack Coughlin from Ohio State. They got Kevin Dodd from Clemson, the D end. They got Derrick Henry, the running back from Alabama, which is interesting. He's going to be pairing up with DeMarco Murray. But they added possibly five or six impact players this season and have another first-round pick next year. So it's fascinating. And then the Cleveland Browns, they, uh, they drafted six wide receivers in this year's draft. Wow. It's, I think, the most ever in any draft. It's well documented that they have the worst receiving core in the NFL. It's not even close. But they drafted Corey Coleman from Baylor. And then after that, they drafted a lot of other receivers and hopefully one or two hits. And so it's fascinating there. And I like just acquiring a lot of picks. They had a really good D-line pick in the second round. And So do you like the drafting so many receivers strategy? Because it seems to me like you might be – uh, giving these guys a little overkill, and with having that many guys that you're drafting, um, not everyone's even going to get to see the field and get their opportunity to show how they perform in the spotlight. No, but <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, you're, what you're saying is getting the spotlight. Most players get drafted don't get that many opportunities to shine in the spotlight. That's you're telling me the fifth round pick on the Green Bay Packers is going to get a much spotlight when you have Nelson and Cobb and Devonte Adams, Devonte Adams and uh, uh, some other guy. Jenner, yeah. whatever the hell's the guy that had 170 yards in the playoff game. Yeah. The white dude. But uh, Jenner is definitely not Jenner. <laughs> I think it starts with the J, though. Anyway, um, so yeah, I actually, I don't mind it. If you're so, 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 so weak in one position, try to solidify that position. Honestly, you're probably going to have one that will really stick at that position. If you get two really good players out of those six picks, you're doing great. What's the division that the uh, Titans are in? The Titans are in? Yeah. The AFC South. The AFC South. Jacksonville Jaguars. Boom. Boom. Ja that, that's my team. I saw them. I was like, they got the two most talented defensive players in the draft. I, I, I would definitely agree. Every, I can't fault that any means. They got Miles Jack in the second round, who was on a lot of people's top five on their big board. And he fell because of medical concerns with his knee. And the Jaguars, I mean, they got him, Miles Jack, Jalen Ramsey, and then they get two D linemen in the third and fourth round that are projected to make an immediate impact, too. Their defense could be so much better next year, and they might compete for a playoff spot. I see these teams in the AFC South. Uh, the, I really like what the Titans and Jacksonville are doing. Last year, I thought they were the weakest division in the NFL. Uh, this next year, I see them. I just see the, all all four teams moving in the right direction. I like what the Texans are doing. I like what the Colts are doing. Finally, getting some help for Andrew Luck on their, on his offensive line, being able to give him a little bit of time to make his uh, make his decision, make his passes, and kind of like actually have uh, power to control that offense. But I really like what the Titans are doing. 
I thought Derrick Henry was a great pick. I think they're going to have strength in the running game, strength in uh, developing their young wide receiver core. Marcus Mariota is great. And then the Jaguars, I think, for the first time in a long time, we're talking about a legitimate playoff threat. Like These guys seem like they're strong all over the field if these draft picks pay off. I agree. I mean, definitely Miles Jack is a risk, but it's a risk worth taking. Like they, they potentially got the two uh, biggest athletic freaks on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, in their it's, first it's, round. Great I picks. completely agree. And it's, it's interesting when you talk about the AFC South, the Houston Texans did the exact opposite. They drafted all offense, and I think they had a great draft too because their defense was great. And then they draft Will Fuller, the speed start of Notre Dame. Braxton Miller, the shifty old quarterback for Ohio State, going to play a slot receiver in the NFL. And I think their best draft pick was Nick Martin, the center from Notre Dame, who's to solidify that offensive line. So they went all offense. Jaguars went all defense. We'll see what happens. And lastly, to sum up the draft this year, the Cowboys selected Jalen Smith in the second round. He is... The linebacker from Notre Dame that got hurt in the Fiesta Bowl this last year and it was a very horrific injury. I mean, he tore multiple ligaments in his knee, and you just felt awful for him because it's been well noted that Mike Mayock of NFL.com and Todd McShay said they would have most likely had him as the number one overall player on their big board. Wow. He was incredible. He just fits today's NFL so perfectly. Big dude, fast, can do everything. And the Cowboys took him with the fourth pick in the second round, knowing that he's probably going to sit out all season. What are your thoughts, Bob? It's interesting. It doesn't go with their win-now strategy like we were talking about earlier. Exact opposite. Exact opposite. You're uh, putting in a piece for the future. Um, You know, but you got to have your eyes on today and tomorrow, right? And I think... Risky drafting a guy with that with that type of injury, but when you're when you're talking about getting a potential uh, superstar in the second round, sometimes you just you take that gamble. Another gamble the Cowboys took sixth round tight end, never played football in his life. Rico Gathers uh, out of yeah. Baylor, Texas. The power yeah. forward from Baylor's basketball team. Yeah, led the NCAA in double doubles. Uh, there's been a history of successful. Um, Basketball players transitioning to the tight end position. Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates. Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham. Some of the best ever. And so uh, I like that pick. I mean, you look at Rico Gathers, it's just obvious this guy was born to play football. Uh, He's probably the broadest college basketball player I've ever seen in my life. He's he's an absolute freak of strength. I wouldn't be surprised. In prior podcasts, we had that conversation of who you don't want to see in an alley. Which, honestly, we always said that there's anything that, but Rico Gallagher's name came up. So, that kind of just displays. He is a big, big dude. And if he could, I mean, it's such a long shot. It's absolutely incredibly crazy in a lot of ways. If he can run routes and block, it's a very technical sport. But, uh, hey, I don't mind the flyer either. He's got an opportunity. It's the sixth round. Um, Jason Witten's not going to be around forever, but he's got one of the best uh, intelligent tight ends to learn from. Like Jason Witten's a genius, Good point. so hopefully, uh, Good mentor. Yeah, hopefully he he takes advantage of that opportunity. I'll be rooting for him. Uh, Sean Oakman, the other Baylor freak. Uh, this guy played defensive end for the Bears, six eight, uh, two hundred and eighty pounds, I believe. Pure muscle, one of the scariest guys in the world. I saw him do a forty four inch box jump on one leg, holding seventy pound dumbbells in each hand. Yeah, he's a freak. Uh, yeah, uh, former All-American. Doesn't get drafted. Well. At all. Unsi- unsigned free agent. Um, he has off-the-field issues. And that that's kind of an interesting thing I think we can close the segment with, is talking kind of about um, what's going on in the NFL and where do you draw the line on these off-the-field issues and character concerns. And when do you say when do you say you know we're a sports franchise we let these guys play or when you say we represent uh, our communities and we want role models for our communities and we're not taking on these guys that have these type of problems and what what factors do you see coming into play? Well, I think it's a case by case situation. It depends yeah. on 
how intense the case was. You look at Greg Hardy right now. He's not going to be signed by any team this season unless some injuries happen because he's honestly just a bad person, it seems like. And some of these incidents can be much worse than others, and some of them are not true. You look at the Cowboys last year, they got Landon Collins, or not Landon Collins, but something something like Landon Collins. What are those first names? Whatever, Collins from LSU, the offensive tackle, was projected to be a first-round pick. Lyle Collins. Lyle Collins. They were supposed to be a first-round pick, and uh, he did not get drafted because he was he was being investigated on a murder case. And it came out that he actually had nothing to do with it. And it was fine, but he got suffered like crazy. He went from being a first-round draft pick to not drafted. And the Cowboys got him as undrafted free agent, and he's starting for them on a great offensive line. So it's a case-by-case business, and I don't know if you can draw a line. I think... So Laramie Tunsil slides... Uh, at the most, 13 picks, but everyone knew he wasn't going first or second, so at the most, 10 picks, right? Um, Sean Oakman, after his season, preseason, he was projected first round, first rounder, uh, like late first round, early second round draft. Goes to completely undrafted and unsigned as a free agent. Greg Hardy got a second chance with the. Does does Greg Hardy's previous success in the NFL, does that. Does that Way as to why he gets more chances than the well, guy. Well, like that's why the only reason get. why he got a chance is because he was a Pro Bowler. He was a great player. Because he already showed what he can yeah, do. Yeah, he's at a that great level. player. Yeah. Sean Oakman, uh, just to say what he had offered with issues, he was alleged for raping somebody. So obviously that's pretty we got serious. Some, we got some problems here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're looking at. It'll be interesting to. Fall, I'm always interested in these guys that have so much potential, but seem like. Uh, they just can't figure figure their life shit out, you know? It's, like, we're talking about a guy who's got all the potential that Ziggy Ansah had, like, coming coming into the NFL draft. Ziggy Ansah's a DN for the Detroit Lions. That's very, very good. He's a, is a pro bowler this year, probably a top five defensive end in the league, and I expect him to improve even more this upcoming year. So. Yeah, so just to close it real quick, I'm going to give you a very interesting player that uh, made history. He was a draft pick of the Minnesota Vikings this year, late round pick. He's a receiver from Germany. First player ever from Germany drafted. Talk about a freak. This guy is 6'4, 222 pounds, and ran a 4'4 flat 40. He played in the German Football League. So if you guys, they actually do have American football in Germany. And I had a buddy who played over there in that league, in the Italian league, and it really is kind of a joke. It's not even, it's like not even D3 level talent in my opinion. But uh, he played over there and he absolutely just dominated everybody. He was so much physical freak, but he was drafted based on his potential. And so it'll be really interesting to see uh, if the German could be the Dirk Nowitzki of football. And with, What's the name of the guy? What's the name of the guy? <laughs> see if I can pronounce this. Moritz Boehringer. Moritz Boehringer. Right. Uh, we'll be rooting for you, Moritz. Uh, represent Yamashina. Thank you, guys. It was another great week of the Rametown Riot podcast. Come back and visit us. Posting new episodes every Monday.